This episode is brought to you by Fooley Gemstones. I do think jewellery is important. I mean, it's obviously, it's, you know, it's such an ancient form of art and it's a very important form of art, you know, it's back to the ancient Egyptians and even beyond. It's um, endlessly fascinating. I'm Carol Holton, the voice of jewellery. Welcome to If Jewels Could Talk. I'm an author and broadcaster and the woman who initiated the role of jewellery editor at magazines like Tatler and Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas and forgotten histories. So join me as I tell sparkly tales and meet all sorts of people delving into four centuries of jewellery culture and investigate what's happening now. Today I am welcoming the English musician whose new album Sleep will be released a bit later in the year, end of November, with a video by photographer and director Nick Knight of Show Studio. Her career has basically ricocheted between music, fashion, art and jewellery. She's modelled for Karl Lagerfeld, Philip Tracy, produced and appeared in Oscar-nominated films and is a global style icon. She's one of the best-dressed women in the world. She's been described by the New York Times as a performance artist for her experimentation with fashion and jewellery. Welcome, Daphne Guinness. Thank you very much for having me. And I can't see your famous two-tone swept-up hair today because you... Well, it's under my hat. Yeah, you can see it now. Now I can see it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, usually she's exotic, ruffled, feathered, plumed in costumes, layered in pearls, antique diamonds and jewel-encrusted armour-style finger rings, which I can see you have on today. Are those Laurie Rodkin? No, they're not. They're um, they're, they're me, actually. They're you. You designed them. Yes, yes, yes. I I actually started quite a long time ago... Although I, I do have some Laurie Rodkin ones, I just, uh, the problem is with other people's jewellery is that they're, they're slightly uncomfortable. So when I was a teenager, I would make them out of silver and I had lots of motorcycle rings and I would um, customise them myself and sort of paint them or whatever. This has been a, a, a lifelong, a fairly long project of mine since my early teens. So are those made in gold, those ones? These are white gold with diamonds. These are white gold and you've got them on three or four fingers? Three fingers, but I've got quite a lot mm. of other ones. So it, it just depends. And sometimes what I do is if I've got a sort of some of these and also when I made the, sh- the glove with Sean Lean, what I did was sort of take some of the diamonds out of things that I didn't like very much and, and I, you, you know, I increased incorporate them into a new thing right. that I'm making to sort of recycle. Modern jewellery, 99% I don't really like. I normally have to reset something. And do you ever wear costume? Oh, the whole time. So you'll mix it with antique and costume? Yeah, absolutely. Old costume? Old costume, new costume, stuff from all over the place. It doesn't have to be expensive. It just has to be shiny, but it has to be the right kind of shine. So I'm very, very picky about colours and and, and about the, the hue of, say, if it's not a real diamond. Believe me, it's I spend hours and hours and hours 
as just making sure things are kind of right. What's the right kind of shine? Oh gosh, I'd have to show you for real. You know, if you're getting costume jewellery, it'll sort of, sometimes it'll have a strange sort of pink or blue kind of tinge to it. The right kind is a sort of very pure, pure light that comes through it. And and I don't even mean real diamonds, I mean the plastic kinds or or any kind of stones. Um, For me, it's trying to find what resonates with with my sort of colour scheme. Must sound rather, rather, rather <laughs> mad, but um, it, it it means a lot. It sounds like a perfectionist to me. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Oh gosh, no, there are some really, there's some really beautiful, very inexpensive paste, and there's some absolutely hideously and and, and everything in between. So it is, you know, going through different um, warehouses or downtown LA or in New York or in London or whatever. It's sort of, you know, you have to go through, a, you have to wade through. A a lot of crap in order to get a good thing so it's a lot of foraging around a lot of foraging. you have to do that yourself you do you do because mm. i mean you can you can trust people to a certain extent but then you know then you ha- i mean i i like to be involved mm. and do you have favorite places that you might go uh depends on whether it's a real or not real and and what I can afford to be perfectly honest I mean if I could afford real everything I'd have real everything but again you know sometimes it's just quite nice to have something that you can just throw on and 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 you don't have to worry about it being you know too real and I, and I like the mix of real and not real mm-hmm. I mean, everybody assumes it's all real but it's a real mixture and is there any little haunt that you get your costume from a lot of them are shut I, I used to. I mean, before I got very... 14 years ago, for example, I mean, when I was uh, installing FIT, I was still designing. I, I, I do still design now, but as I sort of fell more and more deeply into the music, that took up most of my time. You know, my attention was diverted. <laughs> so I didn't really have time to do it. So, so, you know, sometimes I'll try and find places that I used to go to, you know, 15 mm-hmm. years ago, and they're just not there. That's shot. It's such a shame, isn't it? It is a shame. And Butler and Wilson? Did you ever go to Bunny Oh, but, yes, I loved yeah, Butler yeah. and Is that still there? It's still there. He's still in the Fulham Road. Yeah. But it's all the detail in the costume, yeah, isn't yeah. it? You have to have that detail. Exactly. And old paste mm. is, is terrific, um, but you, it's... it's Again, that that has become very, very expensive. It's exorbitant, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously, I love S.J. Phillips, and I love looking through auction pieces. I mean, the the best place to buy real jewellery, and the least, I mean, the least expensive way is to go through the auction books. You're completely right. Because you're not getting the markup. Because if you go to a shop, there it's always a lot more expensive. And there's only one piece, so there may be another buyer against you. But if there isn't, yeah. it's your lucky day. Yeah, it is your lucky day. And Daphne, in the um, video that you've done with Nick Knight. There's so much jewellery in the opening scene. Was that really important? Yes, I did sort of go and get out things that I'd, I hadn't worn for a very long time. So I found some of my old rings. So I layered those on. I had some silver mittens that have got sort of diamante kind of encrusted silver mittens. And then there's a pair of Pauline Trigère cuffs which are unbelievably beautiful so that that that's all very very jeweled encrusted hand but i want to talk about your style because it's just so iconic and you're known for these vertiginous sky high heelless shoes and the two-tone hair and the ruffles and plumes as i said 
Now, how did that come about? What's the origin of your look? A, a series of mistakes, which is, I think all the best things come, come from mistakes. Um, I suppose the, the two-tone hair started probably about 25 years ago, but it was it was sort of, in a way, it was, it was sort of red underneath, then it became purple underneath, then it became sort of more blonde with a black streak in it. But then I uh, there was a Italian Vogue cover shoot with Stephen Mizell where I was asked to do it and they asked me the day before the shoot I was told to go to the hairdresser and they cut my hair off and dyed it black. So that was quite a sort of shocking experience. I didn't really know how to sort of say no or I just thought okay fine I'm sure it'll grow back but not a bit of it but also the other problem with that was I was told that I had to have it put back to my real colour immediately because they wanted to reshoot the cover because the editor didn't like my hair being black and short oh my goodness so the way that so my the the, the present incarnation is it growing back from that from being cut off and then I sort of slowly had to grow it back and it to get it back to what it was previously on that from that shoot was very very difficult but it wasn't an intentional thing but I know a lot lot of the things that happened to my hair is is me with a sort of thinking okay fine but in the early 2000s I'm going to try this dye out on my hair what's it going to look like so it's sort of an art project (laughs) (laughs) experimentation experimentation and the heels i guess those came from alexander mcqueen your great friend funnily enough got this that's another interesting story um obviously he he loved the heels but uh, that they they came about more that i was in hawaii with my friend david la chapelle and i was doing a month probably there for about a month and we were shooting most days and i was sort of you know a background person or sort of helping out or in the picture or not in the picture but essentially sort of part of the circus and you're climbing up really sort of steep mountains in the jungle and I was wearing a pair of Christian Louboutin shoes which the heel fell off so I got some putty and sort of made a kind of heelless thing that I managed to continue doing the shoot in and then I discovered that Natasha Morrow in London she made similar things to what I was trying to I'm I'm not a a shoemaker I mean I can sort of cobble something together quickly if I have to but it's I'm not a professional shoemaker but then I I um she I I saw that she did something similar so my first ones my first kind of actual ones were from there and then I just continued sort of refining it via different cobblers and they've become an extension of my feet because I'm pretty double jointed and comfortable very comfortable my whole um, ethic is to be as comfortable as possible I mean obviously the stilts that that I I collaborate with my friend Noritaka in Japan those are those are you you can't bend backwards but the the shoes that I wear I'm wearing them now they're not actually that high and I can lean backwards I, I get a backache if I don't wear them because I can sort of fold down and stretch my back out with these. And even when I used to wear heels in, in the past, I used to snap them off because I'm always sort of leaning backwards. I feel like a sort of one-trick pony in my shoes, but, you know, it gives me height and I can walk across inhospitable terrain. Well, I can confirm to any listeners that you are committed to your look. I know. Because you don't know this, but I was on a flight to New York 
quite a long time ago. I was on my way to do a shoot for Vogue in New York. You were on the same flight and you were walking down the aisle and I thought, I wonder if she's got flat shoes on for the flight. And I peeked out and you didn't. Oh and you were, you were in your, your usual shoes. And I thought, God, that shows commitment. Oh, my God, that's so <laughs> funny. I, I, yes, I, I, am, I am committed to it. But also, I've, I've really what I don't like is the idea of spending a lot of money on a pair of shoes and then getting a blister. So I, I want maximum comfort. The next stage of my shoe reinvention will be to make them extremely comfortable on the inside. What, they're quite hard leather, are they? Uh, no, I know my ones are really comfortable, mm. but for the sort of, but for, but for everybody else. Okay. Because I've, what I have um, observed is that when you, when you have children or when I was a child, you have your feet measured. So you, the width and the length, when you, when you become sort of 18, you no longer have your feet measured. You're sort of put into a standard, well, I'm a 37. It, it is, but I could be a 38 or a 36 because they they don't really make sort of width or length. And, and the idea of having to, you know, spend hundreds of pounds on a pair of shoes, then you end up having to buy lots of plasters. That's why I make my <laughs> shoes. So tell me, when you're getting dressed and you're kind of putting your look together for the day, is it the, the clothes, the shoes? Where did the jewels come in your thought process? At the end, mm-hmm. before I put on my shoes, but after I've put on my clothes and I'll figure out which sleeve or which hand or which part of the neck or ear that I'm going to sort of encrust or not. And what makes you decide to encrust or not? Is it what you're doing? It's a feeling. So it doesn't matter where you're going? No, it doesn't. It's you sort of, I take sort of one look at the in the mirror and then I think should I put something and then it's I, I it's an it's an intuition rather than rather than anything else so it'll just feel right that you yeah. do that and do you just look through your jewelry and think okay it's that one today or do you do them in rota do you have a a feeling about your jewels that they need outings with you Sometimes I used to. I mean, as I said, I've been fairly busy making music, so I haven't been in the been going out very much or been. I haven't been terribly social. So I and I haven't really been living anywhere. This is the first time I've been in one place for more than I've moved continents and 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 house thirteen times in as many years. So it's it's been everything's been slightly in storage, and plus plus working on all the albums. It's been very difficult yes. to, to see everything. But I I imagine I should do a sort of rotor to, to give them all outings again. I'm just starting with the clothes. <laughs> if they're all in storage, did you just have your favourite pieces with you? I did. And what are those? Can you share what those are? Um, well, my rings and an earring, mm. a couple of brooches and a, and a bracelet. And that's pr- pretty much, it was a very sort of a, a kind of core unit that d- didn't take up too much space antique brooches antique brooches yes and 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 quite a lot of paste because another time that i actually did meet you was quite some time ago in mustique where we had lunch 
at someone's house and you disappeared for a while and you came back in a black swimsuit with a big diamond brooch. So that's the beachwear. That's, that's the beachwear. Beach I think I think I think diamond brooches on beachwear look really, really, really great. It did. They it are. looked great. I used to I used to swim in jewellery, but that really is probably not a good idea because it can fall off and I'm quite an enthusiast I'm quite a sort of I go for very very long swims and so when you're way out in the middle of the sea it's not not a terribly good idea to be wearing a brooch could plummet to the bottom (laughs) could plummet to the bottom so it's the mishmash of styles that's important to you yeah I guess also to to always be surprising I liked somewhere where um, the late um, journalist Adrian Gill said Daphne's never had a look, never once, never remotely that was anyone's but her very own. Oh, Adrian, I miss him. I know. Isn't that lovely? It is lovely. Because it is sort of very surprising what you do and how you put it together. But you don't seem to be aware of that. I'm completely unaware of it. I do realise I've sort of... I do realise that... It's I've it's become a sort I've become a kind of thing, but it, it it sort of it wasn't it wasn't by any design of my own in a funny way. It was just life. But are you aware that it's 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 an art that other people can't do? I've been told told it mm. as I always think I look an utter wreck, <laughs> and I'm not being modest. I'm, I'm I'm probably as you said perfectionist. Was there anything that you think inspired you? You when you were growing up, you had a very unconventional upbringing, quite posh, very posh upbringing, part of the Guinness Brewing dynasty and the Mitford family, the English aristocrats. You lived quite near the home of Salvador Dali. I mean, did any of that, do you think, form this sort of sense of individualism and being avant-garde? I think, I think totally. It was, uh, it was a very, it was a very strange, oh, not very strange, but strange to other people. But the way I grew up was so many different types of scenery but the house that I was in probably the most was in in Spain so my bedroom was in the chapel behind the altar just the way I like it on a sort of lovely rusty bed with a kind of small mattress with a, a window with bars on it looking onto a sort of granite cliff and that was that was where I used to that's where I learnt how to sing and that's where I grew up in the summer and indeed it was the mountain overlooks the Bay of Cadiz, and Salvador Dali, who was my mother's great friend, she bought the house, well, she she grew up in between Paris and Cadiz, and became a, a very, very close friend of, of Dali's and he convinced her to buy the house up on, on the hill. But it's, it's extremely difficult to get to, dirt road, all the way up on the top and it's a, it's a small Elmita. Now there's more water, but the, at the time, no electricity, no water, sort of, you know, living in a chapel. And with, you know, not just Dali, but so many other artists and all the people that, you know, would flock to be around. I mean, because it wasn't just Dali who lived there. It was Man Ray and it was Marcel Duchamp and it was the whole sort of end of the sort of, you know, between the... F- Twenties and the early eighties, when when Dali died, there was just it was all artists because extreme. It's difficult to get to, and it's not Saint Tropez, so you can't anchor a huge yacht in the bay. And it was be where all the artists would go in order to sort of um, get get away from their dealers or to be able to get some sort of peace of mind to be able to sort of when they go back to New York or Paris or whatever to uh, to to be able to think extremely rough and 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 terrific but you, you know as i didn't realize that not everybody had lunch at 6 
seven o'clock in the evening. So and and not everybody dressed in in everything you know anything they wanted. So it was a very it was a huge it was hugely confusing for me to be coming back to sort of London or any kind of. Um, traditional idea of being, you know, a, a child. I had absolutely, you know, to me, life was art and, and or literature or, or 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 the wilderness on the top of the hill. And you know, when you when you when you read books and you don't have very many toys and you're left to your own devices, that's your imagination takes you away. And I suppose I I never I never stopped being that child. Do you remember any jewelry experience? Seeing- did your mother wear jewellery? No, she wore very little jewellery, mm-hmm. strangely enough. She didn't wear jewellery. I mean, she if she went out to a party, but uh, it's going to sound very strange, but I didn't see a lot of my mother apart from in the summer when, when of course, in a place like Cadiz, it wasn't, it, you know, people didn't wear jewellery. It was much more sort of scarves and sort of very mm. relaxed and relaxed but flamboyant. Like beads, hippie beads or uh, well, like, things the, like that. Yeah, the, the, the hippie contingent had their hippie mm. beads and then the, the Spanish would have their sort of style and then you'd have the, you know, the the, the French and the Americans with their style and then the, the, it was all, it was quite it's, it was quite a scene actually and was Salvador Dali working on any of his surrealist pieces at the time he made quite a lot of- he did I mean I mean I, I knew him quite well as a, as a child he was he was extremely uh, civilized and, and a lovely person and I, he rescued me from as they say in French tristesse with you know when I I would you know I remember for example he I would be crying in the cafe sort of you know why is my mother going to cook the snails he put me up to all sorts of tricks to sort of get the snails out of the kitchen because he he was a great believer in mollusks although he'd like to eat them a lot but I mean I think he he felt for me because I I was forever rescuing ants or snails or lobsters but and that and, that, and to get to the point the in his house went there one day and sort of seeing seeing these lobsters sort of half dead in his pool because they'd put chlorine in and they it really was it looked like a sort of terrible crime scene for lobsters <laughs> anyway <laughs> but it, it that that was life that was that was just how things were and and, and it wasn't one didn't i wish well Looking back on it, I know how how sort of amazing it was. But these sort of great moments of one's life, uh, I, and I had the, a similar experience with McQueen. You think it's going to go on forever, just being like that but you know all things come to an end in a funny way I mean Cadiz is still there and I still go but uh, but it's 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 um it, it's different you know it's a, the world is a different place is the chapel still there where you slept absolutely the chapel's still there and I mean I'm wondering sleeping in a chapel I mean did it have any inspiration on you in terms of religion and crosses and rosary beads completely I mean I remember funny and guess this is this is a good this is good because I remember in the early 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 2000s I decided to make skull bracelets out of but I sort of based it very much on the on the skull at the at the base of the crucifix that was on the altar because it's a skull if you're going to do a skull it's got to be right many people 
people attempt to do skulls and they just look tacky or they don't look right. Anyway, so I, I did I did a, a white gold one with diamonds with green eyes and then I did a black gold one with red eyes. But then what happened, as usual, was then skulls suddenly became all the rage. So they've, they haven't actually made mounting for a very, very long time. And then uh, Alexander started making the scarves and then Damien did that hair and then it became everything. So I thought, actually, skulls are so last year sort of so you didn't continue no as soon as everybody else has got it i've sort of go off it you've moved on you've moved on on. i've moved on um but yes i suppose it did i mean i'm not particularly religious i i'm a pre pre pre-christian as it were more of a kind of pythagorean Mm -hmm. in in spirit i worship architecture and golden numbers does that feature in any of your jewelry golden numbers would be lovely well i I, it will do when i start doing my jewelry well by the end of this podcast you're going to be complete (laughs) i'll be on to the next thing but but as you say i suppose everything that's ever happened to me uh, and and it's been quite a quite an eventful life has gone into what i do I mean, I'm very sensitive to my surroundings, so anything that I'm exposed to creeps into my work. So you went from there. Talk about the opposites, the opposites in your dress and your your life and these opposites attracting and repelling, probably. You went from that, that simplicity, that avant-garde life, into marrying a shipping magnet. Correct. Which, very young, you must have been just going to grand banquets and dinners every night. And what you wore and what the diamond jewellery that people must have been wearing must have been the exact opposite. It was different, for sure. It was it was extremely different. Um, but actually, fun, when I was married, we didn't go out very much. But when, when we did, I did observe that other people had the most beautiful jewellery. I think I was deemed to too young to have jewellery. Damn. <laughs> I know, damn. I wish I'd had more jewellery because I love them. So I, and also I was very busy having my three children. But we led, a, oh, I led a somewhat reclusive life. I didn't really see anybody for those 14 years. But, you know, I, I think maybe once or twice I went out. <laughs> so you creatively collaborated with artists like David Bowie, David LaChapelle, Alexander McQueen, how did those come about? How do you decide to collaborate? Well, again, it's a um, was sort of I re- I remember first meeting you. I think probably in the, the corridors of Vogue House when I was helping Izzy out. My friend Isabella Blow, in in those days when she was really going through it. At Vogue I mean, or Tatler days? She was Tatler at Tatler, but I think yes. you, were, you, you, I was you, on were, you were at Vogue and she was on Tatler. when I was helping her out. I didn't have any sort of formal role at Tatler or anything. I was just trying to help a friend. And then she kept on saying to me, oh, you've got to meet up because I, I was buying Alexander McQueen things and I was buying quite a number of things from Givenchy when he was there. And she said, oh, you must meet him, you must meet him. And I said, well, I, I really don't want to meet him because you know meeting your heroes or meeting someone that you really admire sometimes it can be such a disappointment sometimes anyway so I was walking across Leicester Square wearing that sort of Givenchy kimono I was going to some premiere of, of a film or something and I suddenly heard a voice saying you know oi you must be Daphne you're the person that doesn't want to meet me and I was like Oh, my God. So anyway, funnily enough, we just sort of bonded right there. And then 
I didn't go to the cinema. We just went off to the pub and the rest is history. So then I sort of became a tremendously good friend of his. And then it was sort of like I was in his studio or he was in my house or he would take some of my stuff and he'd take it apart and I'd take it apart and he'd sort of send it back to me sort of all in pieces. And I'd say, can you please sew the lining back in that? And then he'd make me something to sort of... He was extremely, extremely, extremely funny and very, very nice and very generous, actually. So he wasn't a disappointment at all. I was hugely embarrassed when he when he said, oh, I heard you don't want to meet me. You have said that you use how you dress, fashion and jewellery as armour to sort of protect you in these sort of situations. For sure. And, 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 and Alexander knew that very, very well. He wanted to sort of protect me at all costs, Alexander, which was, I mean, I've, I've, I'm so grateful for that because um, he sort of realised I was... A, a somewhat shy and shy person but actually you know I suppose the illusion became so much bigger because of that you know in in a way but it, it did have the sort of desired effect it kept people at bay. <laughs> and so maybe Contra Mundum which was this extraordinary diamond encrusted couture glove that you and Sean Lean the British jeweller Sean Lean collaborated on was that the sort of ultimate example of uh, of a defence piece that you wore? It was, and, and hence the name. And also, Alexander was pretty involved in that too, and and made a change that I wasn't completely on board with, which was we changed the knuckles for some reason. He kind of wanted it a different way. But yes, no, it was uh, Sean Lee and I in the corner of the the V&A Museum at one of those sort of fashion things, all just trying to sort of hide in the corner and not be spoken to. <laughs> and so I said, let's go and have a look at the armour. And then let's make an armoured glove. And then Sean came over the next day, or well, a week later, with a sort of bucket so that, to take the cast. It took five years to make. And the, I actually, at the end, after the after it was only finished after Lee had died. And so there was only one way to present that, which was... You know, when I did, I I unveiled it under a pile of veils at Jay Jopping's. I was there. You were there. I was I, there. I thought of... Describe the scene. Oh, my God. But... It was it was a sort of living art performance, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, because, you see, Jay said oh, I should be walking around the house, and I thought, no, not a bit of it. So I'd actually been shooting with Nick Knight until the day well, the day before, and I'd had, I had this... I'd been shooting on this Perspex box, so I, I had this brainwave because I was living next pretty four doors down I thought okay I would install that box in Jay's hall and I thought okay we get have to get some pillows so I, I called up Amanda Harlick and Gareth Pugh I said well you've got to make this look like a sort of bed I've got a lot of veils and I'm going to just lie on it and if you could just arrange me under the veils because the idea of me walking around Jay's house saying aren't I so great with my armoured diamond glove I just thought that would be a bit naff so the only way forward was really and also the fact that I was extremely unhappy uh, about you know it was it came just after Lee had died and it was the I you know it was in 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 honor of him it was in honor of the spirit of the of what it was made of but it was it was very very last minute I I it, I thought of the way to exhibit that 
the the morning of. I mean, it was. Just... Mm. <laughs> I mean, you you were like Sleeping Beauty, basically yeah. lying there under this sort of golden gauze and waiting for a prince to come and kiss you. Really. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I wish they had. And that again, your sort of dedication and commitment not to get up, not to move. While everyone is around you drinking and looking and talking and you were just sort of in your performance. Yeah, I was. My father did try. My father was there and he came up to me and he he sort of leant down and he said, when are we going for dinner? And I was like, I'm dead, dad. (laughs) That was the only thing because I just didn't want him to break he said well why, do we, why aren't you going to get up here I don't think he understood I think he got it in the end I think someone told him I remember Sean coming into vogue a lot over the years Carol we've got this we've got that we've done the cast we've yes. got to do the cast again you had like <laughs> 21 fittings 5,000 diamonds four years I mean it was quite a thing and it was also chain mail each knuckle fitted the fingertips didn't you change the fingers at some point yes we we changed the fingers but also the knuckles were changed by alexander and then they didn't quite fit me because he wanted a straight line rather than it being sort of rounded but it did fit and i shot shot it a lot and in the end the best part of the story but it was actually sort of almost it was the funniest thing sean came over because you remember he did a sale of his or of the jewellery, and he said... You in know, 2017, yes, wasn't it, yes. Sotheby's? He came to my mm. house, he said, I've got a proposition for you. And I said, oh, well, funny enough, I've got a proposition to, for you, because I've got a really good idea. What I want to do is I want to melt the glove down, take all the diamonds out and melt it down on film and transform it into something else. And poor Sean, he went white. I mean, he went completely white. He said, ah, oh, I'm not really sure about that, but I've got, a, I've got a better proposition. Do you want to sell it in the in my sale? So I thought that it was, you know, he was trying to come to terms with all of the things that he'd been doing with Alexander. And so he had this big sale. And I thought, well, actually, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, I don't want to break his heart. But I, what I'd really, I, I, I love the idea of transforming matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the idea of sort of making a whole new glove with a different design, um, and also sort of doing it in a sort of Bunuel type of, of way, sort of imagining Sean watching five years of blood, sweat, and tears. I know. <laughs> but there's nothing so romantic as kind of just reforming it into something else. It's, it's the it's the end of the circle, but it, that didn't happen. But I, it was it was quite a funny moment. Didn't Lady Gaga buy yes. it? Yes, so she has it. Now. She did. I mean, but because by that stage, I think they'd used. Um, actually they'd done American American Horror Story and there was a sort of I think someone had made a sort of a kind of vague copy of it and it's it's ended up in the right hands because I mean she there's no one better really to to, to appreciate own that glove. It. yes exactly mm. another artist and you know and uh, have so you ever seen her wear it well yes I have actually would uh, it fit does it fit her arm she, like she, it, it, it does it, it it does fit her arm because uh, we did a shoot together um for V magazine and she wore it and it looked fantastic on her but I I will I think I will do something else similar. Now I've finished the record, there's many things I could do. And I just wanted to talk about the birds because it had a lot of black diamond yes. and white diamond birds along the chain mail, didn't it? Yes. What was the um, significance of those? 
That was very much a Lee signature um, idea. I mean, I, I think. I mean, it's sort of lost in the in the romance and the mystery of of the making of the glove. But I, yes, it's it's the idea of freedom and and lightness and being able to fly away, but also being encrusted, sort of the the the, the fleeing of this world, but yet being protected against it the sort of light and dark maybe as well with yes, the black and the white that's correct it's such an interesting story that the, the story of the glove i mean i wish we'd sort of written the whole process down because it was it was really something as you say i was really um frustrated because you know in the time that he was doing it i kept sort of earmarking stories in vogue because obviously right. i wanted the exclusive of it and then it got delayed and then we lost some pages that were and in the end it went into Harper's I was absolutely furious at the time oh god I'm so sorry I think it landed up because of the timing of it timing yes I think Sean took care of that Mm. I'm always so busy trying to to sort of imagine things that I'm very I'm not tremendously good at the sort of launch of anything but it really was a staggering it was staggering staggering jewel piece of sculpture jewellery that, I mean, no one has attempted to make for generations, simply generations. That's that's correct. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, it's up there with a sort of Romanoff crown or something oh, like that. Oh, my God, thank you. Thank I you. really think it's really extraordinary. Well, we put... We put all of our sort of love and attention into it and uh, and obviously of course Sean the most of all because he had to he had to make it and uh, and and some of the diamonds in that as i i think i said before some of the the diamonds in the, in the glove were things that i'd had taken out of other things and i put them in sort of there are little stories to some of the diamonds in that glove and sort of special prayers and stuff that I put in. And you made cuffs, didn't you mould cuffs of your hand for yes. some other cuffs, more simple cuffs? Yes, I've done they, those Those I've got. They're actually beautiful. Two cuffs. One is Scorpio and one is Scorpio missing. So it's a very plain gold cuff, very smooth. It's a seamless closure. One's just diamond, some set in and some set upside down so they 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 kind of some of them stick out and some of them don't but they're all sort of sprinkled on one hand and then the other one is just sort of gold with scorpio the star system so and the other one just has it that that part of it is not there it's kind of a blank but anyway if if i had more time and and the money to do it there's so there are many many things that i'd enjoy doing jewelry wise and do you look at uh jewelers you admire to maybe like you, you sort of really took a role of being a mentor, really. With no, I wish with Sean. To, I, I mean, Sean, yes, to create that glove. Anyone else that you want to work with at the um, moment? I don't really know who's around. I've been a musician mm. for now. I mean, you know mm. that that really took over my life. And and when I went to live in the middle of Ireland, I sort of cut myself off from the world completely. I I mean, I, even my cell phone didn't really work there. So I mean, I. I, I cut off and, um, you know, as ever with everything I do, things start out as as, as one thing and then they, they sort of build up. And then, of course, you have to come back in order to release something or to sort of show your face and complete them. So, you know, I, th- I thought 
I'm out. I'm never going to see anybody again. I'm going to be living in the middle of the wilderness, roaming the hills, and that's that. That's it. You know, I'd, I'd sort of, I was very, very burnt out after sort of some rather unfortunate things in New York, but also the the end the, the FIT installation took two years of, of, of my life and it was you know I it was it was a very 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 intense ex for, for me because you know I, I dressed all the every single mannequin and accessorized them and up until 10 minutes before it opened I was adding ribbons or brooches or whatever Valerie Steele um, the dean of FIT, she was, I said, well, yeah, I can't, I've put some real brooches on. She said, no, you can't put any real brooches on. We don't have the insurance. I said, well, just maybe one or two. Anyway, in the end, I sort of managed to sort of source. This is why I, I know, uh, you know, New York is not good for paste jewellery. It was really difficult to find stuff that actually I could, you, you know, that, that felt enough like me. I mean, some of my paste was on it, but, you know, I did need sort of other ones in in substitution for the for the for the real ones that I couldn't put on there. Do you have an urge to make some more jewelry? I do. And design some more? I I really do, but I I I wouldn't I wouldn't know coming out of this sort of this is my fourth record back to back. I don't really know what the landscape looks like, but I I hate to sort of be controversial, but when I do sort of glimpse how these stones are set when I take a sort of turn around the Place Vendôme or down Bond Street. You think, what a waste of a good stone. You have to make something so beautiful out of that. But alas, I have no connections with, with anybody who's in that business at the present day. So you want some lovely stones to work with? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I have lots of designs in my head and sort of, but you know, I'm sure something will something something will happen and i and and i i've I've made lots of different these sort of long scarves with sort of paste jewelry things which is sort of i have lots of many sort of prototypes which i've been working on slowly as sketches for the future and if it if it happens that i can actually make it into a real thing then i will but if if time or money doesn't permit, then obviously I can't. And what do you think jewellery should express when you're making it? What What's in your head that you think it should... Should it be purely decorative? Should it mean something? I think you could try and get everything into it. I mean, you could... It, it should It should definitely be, be decorative. First of all, practicality. It needs to be... It needs not to fall off. That's And it needs to be set in a, in a proper setting so that the stones don't fall out or don't move. And it needs to be easy to put on. I mean, my my favourite period, probably, of, of jewellery is, you know, the 20s and 30s, especially Cartier. I love older jewelry but sometimes that can be they can be somewhat fragile because they you know they 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 fall apart but the way that things were set in the 20s 30s 40s 50s that's really where when it was good and i i and i've got you know different feelings about different metals as well for example and and the different hues it's it's such a fascinating subject but i i think it i think it should mean something jewels of today seem so soulless they don't they don't feel they feel sort of i don't know they don't feel like there's a, a hand or a i don't know i don't know if it's the cut i don't know if it's the, the way they're displayed it's i it just they could just look a, lo- a lot better but that's that's just that's just me being me being <laughs> being a perfectionist i suppose and also fa- fashions change and i suppose the big markets that's what they require well we'll wait to see the golden numbers maybe <laughs> <I hope> so <laughs> oh carol I so hope do so. you 
Do you have, like we were in the paper this morning, you'd been to Mick Jagger's 80th birthday. Is there something special you wear for a night like that? Oh, goodness gracious. I was I was trying to think what I was going to wear. And um, in the end, because it was raining, I sort of decided that I would make sure that I wore something which was somewhat waterproof in case I got stuck in the rain and and, and somewhat sparkly. Um, so I did get dressed pretty fast, but it was, it's, it's again, intuitive. But there was the, it, there was a dress code, so I attempted. Yeah, I, I, I get dressed rather fast. And the dress code was not wet weather, I don't think. No, it wasn't. But I mean, it was wasn't. No, but that's, that's <laughs> nothing to do with, nothing to do with, it, you know, um, it was, it was, it was summer. And did you wear any jewellery? I did. Yeah. I wore my rings and my earrings and okay. some bracelets. Because he likes jewellery, doesn't he? He loves jewellery. He's Which got I have to say is where you were wearing the diamond brooch with the swimsuit was yeah, at yeah. his house. And he obviously appreciates jewellery. He's got very good taste in jewellery. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, in, in everything, in fact. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your, your thoughts about jewellery with us. Because Oh, my goodness. I do think jewellery is important. I mean, it's obviously, it's, you know, it's such an ancient form of art. And it's a very important form of art, you know, it's, back to the ancient Egyptians and even beyond. It's, it's um, endlessly fascinating. Thank you, Daphne. And we look forward to the album. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. And everyone should have a look at the... Is the film online yet? Yes, it um, is. Nick Knight's film on show studio. Yes, have it is. Have a look at the film and we get a taster and a taster of Daphne's style. <laughs> mm. Thank you, Daphne. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes of If Jewels Could Talk, please go to our website, carolwalton.com slash podcasts, and do share it any way you can. And we love to have a rating and a comment, so thank you. For more information on our sponsors, that's fooliegemstones.com. Please join me again in two weeks for the next Jeweled Nugget. A couple of weeks ago, we explored the life of the French fashion designer Coco Chanel and her experiences during the time of the war in Paris. Now, what Chanel was at the time to the fashion world, the jeweler we will be talking about was to jewellery. We will be exploring the fictional life of one of the legendary designers. So join me again. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. If Jewels Could Talk with Carol Walton is produced by Natasha Cowan, music and editing by Tim Thornton, graphics by Scott Bentley, illustration by Geordie Labanda. You can find our sponsors at fullygemstones.com and me at carolwalton.com.